Well, as our friend Dr. Mary Gardner said, yes. it's the ending that matters. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's the ending of, that matters. Yeah. Because it's what stays with you, yeah. right? It's it's what often what you remember. So that's, that's, again, why I think it's so important that in the face of, yeah, a disease that often sucks, you still find a way, you know, to bring that that love and that dignity um, into it as well. Like they're not, they're not just defined by the cancer, right? Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a life there that needs to be celebrated. I, I really like that. Sorry for saying sorry. Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kerbenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kerbenstein, and we're doing the Purr Podcast with... Dr. Susan Little. You sounded like very kind of, um, I don't know, uh, sexy Hollywood voice there for a moment, Dr. Kerbenstein. I'm trying to, you know... (laughs) trying to improve my that, intonation. Is that, is that your radio voice? It is. <laughs> Welcome to the Purr Podcast. <laughs> and this is part two of our exciting interview with... Dr. Sue Edinger. <laughs> I was like, wait, do, am I allowed to talk? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, you're yes, allowed to talk. Yeah, is. We're so happy so, to have you with us. We've been waiting for a while. I know. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and so this is the second time we have you then on the Purr Podcast. I can't believe you let me come back. Uh, of course, of course. It was so fantastic, the last one. So here we but, are. Here we are. Let's do it. So one of the things I noticed that you do on social media is that you do... Um, almost a celebration, if you will, when an animal finishes a course of chemotherapy yeah. or has, you know, um, achieved um, uh, remission or achieved disease-free status, whatever it is, and that, and I, I love that, and I, I think that's probably important mm-hmm. to help owners in that journey. And it reminds me um, often of what they do in human medicine. You know, when when women mm-hmm. finish breast cancer right. treatment, you know, there's often some some ceremony, some marking of the event. Yeah. Yeah, and, and lots of other places do it, but you know, in different hospitals that I've worked at, I've done different things. Like one place we had a helium tank, so we filled balloons. Um, we've done bandanas. We've done, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, like uh, certificates that yeah. we laminate. You know, yes. one place we had a laminator, so we were able to laminate. Um, <laughs> and it depends on what you have, yeah. <laughs> it depends on what you have. And one of my technicians, she like hand, you know, would hand do them and color them in Aww. with markers and stuff like that. You know, so on our big board, you know, it was like CBC, chemistry panel, doxorubicin, chemo, you know, certificate. And the clients, they bring in cupcakes and, and things like that. But I do think, and then when they relapse, it doesn't matter. We celebrate again. And I just had a patient just third you know third celebration and i was like you get another you know another and if you finish your melanoma vaccine and chemotherapy you get two bandanas like i just don't <laughs> think you can't celebrate enough right yeah that is yeah. good yeah that is good. i love that you do that i love that you make a moment out of it but you know what i find what has been more interesting to me on social media is when i lose a special patient because i'll sometimes do a tribute and sometimes i feel weird in the sense that like I'm like playing into everybody's fears that like, oh, patients die. But I feel like I must, like a lot of these patients, I get really close and I get really close to their family. And so I'll share something. Those on social media are often more more likes, more engagement. Mm. Ah. And what it's really interesting is not only will people comment they're sorry for the loss of their family. They'll often comment that they yeah. are reaching out to me and saying they hope that me and my team are okay. And it, it, I find that it's this... It's a different it's, dynamic. It's, it's this moment that mm-hmm. really... I think they, they see how much I love the patients and how much we all care about it. And 
I think it's also this empathetic moment because a lot of us have lost pets, whether it's been to cancer or other things. Yeah. And it's, I actually find on social media that that's one of the sort of sweet, bittersweet moments, mm. it, you know, and I almost, I, like, I, it's an, it's an interesting balance, like, to the celebrations, you know, where sometimes I'm like, oh, I get so sad. Well, I'm like, oh, but I have to post this because I feel this connection to Nettie mm. or somebody, you know, these patients. And it, it, it's, it's almost like it's still not bringing down the community because the community knows that it's sort of part of the process. And yeah. they feel for each other yeah. and they want to lift each other up in this moment of sadness. And you can't ignore it. Right. It would be artificial to ignore it. So there is a there's a value in in the dignity in the recognition right. um, in 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 showing the 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 caring you know the passion that you've put into this patient too right yeah. that that's also that's also part of it yeah yeah and you know veterinarians are are often many veterinarians I think would say that they are more likely to get a thank you card or cupcakes or whatever it is um, after a pet dies. You know, I've, I've, I've found that often myself. I could save a cat's life. And, I, you know, the client will probably say thank you. But if you handle an end-of-life event, you know, palliative care, euthanasia, yeah. if you handle that well, you'll get flowers and cupcakes. Well, as our friend Dr. Mary Gardner said, yes. it's the ending that matters. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's the ending of, that matters. Because yeah. it's what stays with you, yeah. right? It's it's what often what you remember. So that's, that's, again, why I think it's so important that in the face of, yeah, a disease, it often sucks. You still find a way, you know, to bring that that love and that dignity um, into it as well. Like they're not they're not just defined by the cancer, right? Yeah, yeah. There there was a life there that needs to be celebrated. I I really like that. This is a question probably from a lot of our audience. How do you deal with the client? So do you mm. tell them in advance that you're going to do this? How do you get their permission? How for do social you, media? Yeah. yeah. It's part of the initial appointment. Mm-hmm. So when they come in to the hospital, so I, I usually have worked with different corporate hospitals, and so they have a media release for the hospital. So when I've joined the hospital, I ask them, can I put my Dr. Sue media release as part of that? Mm-hmm. And I've worked for two different corporate companies, and they have not had an issue for that. Um, one person more recently at one of the hospitals was like, nobody's going to sign these media releases. They're ah. coming in. They have cancer. And 99% of the clients sign the media release. Sometimes at that first appointment, because they are overwhelmed, it's the initial consult, they'll say, can I think about this? Mm -hmm. And then if they are going to treat, we usually, like, I'll wait three or four weeks and say, hey, would you mind doing the social media release now? And then they've gained their trust. Sometimes at that first, or if they're really upset at that first appointment, I can tell the nurse will come out, they'll say, I didn't feel comfortable doing the media release. So we keep track if they don't sign it. Most people sign it. And what's interesting is many of my clients will be like, because I'll, I'll tell them, like, oh, I got a great picture, you know, a cute picture. And then they'll come in like, where is my Where's picture? It? I haven't seen it. I've been I've been stalking you on social media and I haven't seen you. And I'm like, you, you know, posted yeah, and I haven't yet. posted it yes. yet. They love it and they reshare it or I'll post it. And, you know, mom works and dad brings it in and mom will be like, oh, it's so good to see you and Marley, you know. So they the clients really like it. So. Mm. But that's how I do it. And so you have to have somebody on your staff who feels comfortable doing it. And I think for me is that I have staff that, I don't know if this is the right word, they buy into what I do and they believe in what I do. They understand. They They understand what I do. Yeah. I have had staff 
members who don't always understand what I'm doing with social media and that's been harder. So, but I think if you have people on your team that believe in what you're doing and know that you're doing this to raise awareness, mm. then it's really easy. If people mm -hmm. think you're in it to show your face on social mm. media, then it's going to be harder. But I think if people believe in what you're doing, you know, and the clients see that and yeah, they know that. They do. I found the same thing, you know, that clients almost always um, are, are interested in sharing their pet story. Yeah. Um, especially if it will help other pet owners. Yeah. You know, that's that's often something that they love. Um, and, and very few people say no. But but we have also found the same thing that then they, they may, there, it creates an expectation yeah. that you are going to feature their, your Or their sometimes pet. I'll be in the back and, you know, my phone will be like, you've just been tagged. And McKen <laughs> Mackenzie's owner will like, waiting to see Dr. Sue in my exam room yeah. and like she'll be on my chair the golden retriever and I was like oh I guess Mackenzie's checked in you know but we're running around doing other stuff so yeah. you know it's a lot of and you know these are older clients they're not the young millennials yeah, a lot yeah. of them are really really into it yeah so it's, it's just a, it's another level of community I think yeah right and, and what I like about it is the fact that you use an active sign on so it's not like yeah. you have to sign 20,000 pieces of paper and somewhere it says a line that they have to you talk with them about it and that's how you gain their trust too you're not trying to hide it and then because I think a lot of people get into trouble when it's not very clear for the client that this might happen mm. and so then they suddenly see it on Instagram and mm. they're the first reaction will be okay this is a a definitely yeah that's a, that's a no-no and I think yeah. for me I, a lot of the clients who come in to see me have seen me on social media uh, so they know what I'm doing yes, yes. and so it's usually not a surprise the other benefit for me of social media or having that it you know presence on social media is a lot of people sort of know and trust me a little bit more even before they've come in the, the door mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. they've they sort of been talking sure. me and, and reading about me and things like that so I think they often will when you ask them like oh I've seen what she's been doing on social media and it's a little bit easier to agree to do it the other interesting thing is sometimes I've had clients decline and then I had one time where it was a graduation and we had the certificate and the balloons and things like that and I was like oh I took a picture of Angus but don't worry you know I just wanted you to see how cute he looked with his bandana but don't worry I'm not going to post it but you know I'm like it's on my phone you know I can airdrop it to you they're like oh like you can post that on social media but you know they were so scared that he was never yeah. going to get through chemo he yeah. was a lymphoma little westy and he did yeah. and they were like oh well and i was like but you got to sign the we'll sign the release yeah. but you know but like it was just the space they were in right, right. Yeah, yeah but this was six months into chemo but they finally you know so again for you know different people process things differently yeah and that's okay yeah so did you ever get into trouble you mean with social media things yes knock on wood i mean not from a client where i've ever posted something that i wasn't supposed yeah. to because you knew from the start i knew like at work yeah, yeah i've right. never gone in right. trouble i i've had people like i said people curse at me online you know like somebody once messaged me at like two o'clock in the morning i was sleeping and then i didn't like in the clothes in the uh, private one and then yeah. i didn't respond and she started cursing at me luckily the Facebook filter picked it up yeah. but I have had people call me a fake um, yeah. and some of that stuff doesn't get filtered because yeah. they know to you know not use bad words so I've had people you know if I don't respond personally tell me because I'm I mean I'm getting a lot of things I do have people now sort of personally 
um, badmouth me. They just mm-hmm. say I don't. If I cared more, you know, I would pay for their, you know, I would yeah. I would find ways and stuff like that. So yeah. I don't. I haven't gotten in trouble, but I do take a lot of that personally, and I don't yeah. let everything roll off of me that I should. And sometimes yeah. I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah. You have to remind yourself, right? That yeah. I'm doing it to help other people, <laughs> yeah. but there are people who take advantage. Of, maybe they don't. They're hurting, right? Yeah. But there are people who are mean. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want... Yeah, sadly, there are people who are just find it easier to be mean than kind. Right. And I yeah, I want to be kind. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes you just have to recognize that there will be those people, right? And you have to remind yourself of why you're doing this. And, and I think you also have to... It, it's a normal practice, too. I mean, mm. it's, it's social media makes it a little easier to be yeah. mean. But, but it happens face-to-face. You face. get these people that are totally unreasonable face-to-face, too, in mm-hmm. your clinic that scream at your receptionist mm. or that scream at you yeah. or that try I've had to worse people or... in throughout the years yelling like in in clinics yeah. mm. over the years than I have on social media for yeah. I mean I don't know if that's better or worse but I think you know the passion that some people feel yeah but I've also you know I've been in practices where you know like can we fire clients you know because some people are flat out abusive Mm -hmm. i also think as i get older i just i don't want to deal with it Mm -hmm. yeah crap am i allowed to yeah yeah so absolutely (laughs) and 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 we often refer as the 95 percent of the really nice cases that you will ever remember because they're so wonderful and the five percent of the cases they're awful and we tend to Remember better remember the five percent yeah. a yeah. little more than all the good cases that you have. Yeah, and they they kind of destroy. They can they can if you let them destroy your general well being and yeah. how much you love your job. Yeah, I think it's in Michael Port's book where he talks about dropping the duds, dropping from clients as clients, and I think that's just you know because we do we hold on to the negative comments right it, i mean andy work and i talk about this like i'll walk out and i'll get my reviews from a talk and i'll flip through good 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 you know and then there'll be like one or two bad reviews and i'll be like what yeah. why why and, you, and what you need yeah. to do is if it, like if it's five percent yeah. or three percent you need to, percent, you need to put go. those go but instead like and it's the same thing if like five percent of like what you're dealing with online is that you drop the duds the same yes. thing with client but you can't please everyone no, you know yes. You know, so you I just and you and you can't put that unnecessary pressure on yourself. You you really can't please everyone, and it's easy to say that, but there will come a moment, hopefully, you know, in, all, in every veterinarian's life when when you actually know what that means, yeah. right? When you actually take that to heart, and go, yeah, it is okay to walk away from the five percent, right? You can, you'll be a better ver- veterinarian for the ninety five percent. I think so. Yeah, if you can just let the five percent go. I'll try. Yeah. Um, if, let me know how it works. I thought you've done it already. Yeah. <laughs> it's a work in progress. <laughs> you know, because we all have a, we have a kind of a similar that. personality when you get into veterinary medicine, right? You know, you have a big drive to want to help, people to please. heal, to people please, to, to, um, uh, to be the best. Right. Right? How inhuman an expectation is that? Right. Well, and we also get reviewed by our ah, bosses. You we know, get like reviewed. reviews to yep. to improve and people please and yep. you know, good yelps and Yep. Yep. We I think we're more reviewed than we ever were in the past, yeah. actually. Right. I'm Dr. Sue Edinger, also known as Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, and I'm so excited to be sponsoring this PER podcast. 
please be sure to check out my website, Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, and also my YouTube channel. Also, amazingly, Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, where you can find tons of information about cats and the other species as well. And you can find information about cats and dogs going through cancer with information about chemotherapy and the different tumors that we see and treat in dogs and cats and how we can kick cancer's butt. Yeah. So of uh, the, the news in the last two years, cat cancer news, ah. give us some highlights. Highlights in, highlights in cat, cat cancer, cancer news. Yes. So mm. We have a huge cat audience, obviously cat lovers. Uh, I think we have a lot of veterinarians, technicians, and even some owners that listen to the podcast. So, so what changes have you seen in the last couple of years on cat cancer? Ooh, silence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, just thinking. It, so it, I think the you know the nurtazapine is, is. No, I think supportive example. care is a yeah. great example. Yeah. I think a shift for both species is a pro is that proactive approach so i think being preventative with side effects so not waiting for side yep. effects i think even though we say that cats tolerate chemo well i think that idea of inappetence identification is so hard mm -hmm. and there was a recent study which may just be only in abstract form but pet owners will stop chemotherapy for inappetence before anything else before anything yeah. else they will handle yeah. vomiting yeah and so i think that idea of identifying nausea and being proactive with inappetence is so important mm -hmm. so for me you know even more so from my residency, but even in the last three to five years, just being really proactive. And even though I've always said cats tolerate chemo better than dogs, I still am just being more proactive with nausea medications and appetite stimulants, because I think it's so hard for pet owners and veterinary professionals, whether it's doctors or technicians, to identify that. So things like Mirataz, I think, are great. We touched on one, I think the fact that just that the lymphoma studies are starting to... Make sense. <laughs> yeah, that they're starting to separate out gastrointestinal lymphoma, yeah. intermediate and high grade, and do studies based on that. There's been some studies that have looked at the benefits of doing surgery for cats that have solitary masses. Yeah. So I think the, the fact that we're starting to sort of think more proactively have been better. Uh, I think some of the studies looking at the prevention for injection site sarcomas and where to vaccinate. I think the Wasava recommendations were really mm -hmm. interesting. They talked about vaccinating on the ventral flank abdomen, mm -hmm. which I thought was, mm -hmm. I was just updating one of my talks. I thought that was interesting. I hadn't mm -hmm. seen that before, but mm -hmm. just for surgery wise, mm -hmm. I still think, I love the recommendations we should vaccinate as infrequently as necessary, but as often, often as, as needed. needed. But so how does one define that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you yeah. tell me, yeah. cat yeah, expert. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think, you know, I still think we have a lot to learn about injection site sarcomas. I feel, I mean, I did my residency project on that in 2002. Uh, so, I, but. And we don't know that much more. Right. Really. Yeah, I think one of the big missing pieces for injection site sarcomas is who's going to get them, right? Because you can vaccinate like 9,000 cats and one will get an injection site sarcoma. What's different about that cat? You know, they all got the same vaccine. Right. Maybe they all got it the same number of times, whatever it is, but they'll be the one. So what's different about the one? So what I would like to see, of course, I would like to see better, more effective treatments and 
for for that tumor. But I would like to see a way to identify them in advance. And we will. You know? We will. You know. Yeah. We, we, I hope we just will. Got the new cat kit where they are. You know what they did with the dog. What they can do genomic scan. On yeah. Cats. That's probably where the answer lies in the genetics. Accumulate that information. Yeah. At a certain point, we'll find out that cats with this whatever kind of profile array of yeah. genetic abnormalities probably are prone more to get that yeah. so I, I believe that that's going to happen yeah i'm not sure we're going to make great advances in that tumor until we can start identifying who's going to get it right because it's so unpredictable and you know how do you make a a protocol for the one cat out of ten thousand? right right but to that one owner it's 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 a hundred percent right that exactly and it's so yeah. expensive and yeah. it is such a frustrating and i still feel like so I feel like that's an area where we've made some improvements, but what I find frustrating about treating cats with cancer is that the studies are still not clear cut for the best mm -hmm. way to treat injection site sarcomas. Yeah. Uh, another frustrating one for me, I sort of turned the question instead of like recent great things, like we still don't know what to do with cat squames, like mm. oral squames. And oh. so those are some of the frustrating areas for me that I'd like to see more research. I feel like we're doing I feel like we're doing a better job with cat lymphoma or identifying some of the risk factors because it's the more common cancers. But what's the best chemotherapy protocol for cats with mammary carcinoma? Yeah. I still don't know. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like we still need more studies for the common but less common cancers. Yeah, that's second cats. tier, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oral squamous cell carcinoma is way, for me, it's way up there. I mean, yeah. one of my own cats succumbed to that. It is not a rare cancer. Right. You know, it's common enough. Um, one of my own cats was in, uh, enrolled in a clinical trial at the Ontario Veterinary College. You know, he had surgery, he had radiation, he had chemotherapy, and he still died from his disease. Right. Right. And so I totally agree with you. I don't think we've moved the needle on that one. The interesting question there is why do cats get so much oral swing? Mm. I mean, that's yeah. for me, you know, you can imagine that in people they get it because they're smoking and, right. you know, and they're chewing yeah. tobacco. Do dogs get but, oral squamous cell carcinoma? Not as so often. It's, so it's a, it's a cat thing. It's, no, yeah. but you do, you do see. Uh, dog oral squame. Probably not as uh, but, often. You know, it's part of the top four. Right. But in the okay. cats, you know, cat squame is 75% yeah. of the cases. And so you, okay. and the, it's unclear what reason yeah. it is. There must well, be it, it may be because they, they lick their fur more yeah, it's so often they under may the be tongue. I mean that's then you would expect it's chronic irritation of the tongue it's it... not necessarily but maybe maybe there maybe it's toxins or contaminants that get into the mouth more easily I don't know why it's mm -hmm. under the tongue but no I don't know the answer I'm just so it's, thinking it's out loud but interesting yeah interesting disease and you know we did a little bit of experiments with a local in, of a, yeah. a radiotherapy yeah. uh, which as Murphy was really successful but um, it's it is a horrible disease yeah. if you and and we get them relatively late so yeah that's the other very thing. very rarely yeah. you get them when they're really small and you can do something about it yeah my own cat so here's my husband and i as veterinarians again here's another you know husband and wife veterinary fail <laughs> story <laughs> first attempt in learning <laughs> yeah really yeah so our own cat you know with an oral squamous cell carcinoma it was huge by the time we we noticed you know you look across the room one day and go Wow, Tim's sitting there and his mouth is kind of oddly open. Well, guess why? It's because there's like a huge mass under well, his Well, your tongue. husband clearly missed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> obviously. You know, I laid it down to him. Yeah, obviously. But, uh, you know, again, that highlights the fact that I think still a lot of cat cancers are identified late. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we, we fail to recognize signs and we fail to... Um, I, I forget who it was who said it. It was a, one, of my, one of my mentors, and I, I don't want to try to remember who it was, but... The, you, 
you know, the idea is basically that a, um, a cat that's happy, it looks the same sleeping on a windowsill as the cat is going to die on Tuesday. You know, they look just the same when they're asleep in the sun, right? So that's got to be a barrier when it comes to early detection of cancer as well, right? Do, do you feel that? In no, terms it is. And yeah. I, I think I'm still going back to, I don't have a super great answer to your uh, question and I think it goes back to the problem with cats and cancer yeah, yeah. in research is that we don't have I mean there's for the other species I could probably rattle off four or five good things that have yeah. happened in the last couple of years in terms of new drugs that have come to market but you know and I'm not therapeutic or not just supportive medications mm. but you know treatment options but I don't know that we're seeing the same yeah. push for that for cats so yep. going back to my nurse Kathy who always feels that cats are the orphans I feel like we need more studies is there any studies that, or any recent developments that come to your mind like surgically for cats or just for cancer um I would say for yeah I would say the 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 five centimeter three fascia plane rule for uh, um, injection site sarcomas is something that has kind of changed the way I do surgery in cats and also has changed the way I do surgery in some really aggressive tumors in dogs. So the cat part, instead of doing the, you know, the standard three centimeters, that, that has kind of changed my way of dealing with these really aggressive tumors in cats. Um, I think that we'll find a solution for oral scream at a certain point. That's the other thing because there's, you know, there's there's more people getting interested. And I think what we need to do with these cats is, that's a tumor that is relatively common. So that's where we can get the numbers because that's that's all. I do, you know, I'm doing this study uh, for insulinomas in cats right now. Uh, well, now that's not a common tumor. And, and that's a it's a global study. And every surgeon is working on it, and we got like fifteen cases. Yeah, right. Yeah. Fifteen, yeah. one five. So it yeah. is and that's so probably all of them rare. too. <laughs> it probably is. Yeah, it's it not like is. you've got half. Years. Yeah, so yeah. It is, it is so so rare. Yeah, and then you don't have the numbers. So I th I think that that um, we need more money in cat research. Yeah, to be able to do these kind of things. But you know, we have a lot of cats, and I think I really think that uh, that. The genetic background should be looked at a little bit more closely. So hmm. um, that's where the key is in cats hmm. for me. Yeah, at least. Yeah, um, you know, my my guess is you think of it more in dogs because you think more of of breeds that are more predisposed to certain tumors, right? Like that's more on your mind, right. I would think, right? Yeah. Yeah, and yet. I know we don't see as many pedigree that cat breeds that come into practices, so we kind of throw the whole baby out with the bathwater, like and don't look at predispositions. Um, so I, you know, I think you're right. That's going to be part of the way forward. But you know, we're kind of nuts too, if you think about it. So cat probably is a better model for us humans than than, than dog pedigree dogs. Are. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, we use dog breeds very commonly, like osteoscoma dogs, for human, but. Uh, there was an article about the uh, cat memory tumor model. Yes, as, as it as that it, has legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has legs for that'll go for somewhere. Yeah, human uh, aggressive. Uh, no pun intended. Yeah, no yeah, pun exactly. intended. Right. So yeah, it, yeah. But, and I think <laughs> that we need to look at the cat as a 
example for these kind of tumors too. Oh yeah, that's often the only way we find out things or we get money on research projects for cats is, you know, if, if their cats are lucky enough and, and I'm making air quotes as I <laughs> yeah, say that, right. right, that they get the same disease or the same tumor as, as people. What percentage of your um, oncology, oncology practice would be canine versus feline? Interesting, it depends on where so I've been in three practices in the last 10, no, four practices in the last 10, 12 years. Yeah. And the second to last practice, I saw so few cats and I'm only six miles away and I'm seeing a lot of cats again. And the the only thing I can say is the other practice was cancer only. And now I'm back at a practice with an internist. So the uh. internist is diagnosing a lot of cats. And so I'm seeing a lot more cat lymphomas, both high and low grade again. Uh, from her, I just actually saw a transitional cell carcinoma in a cat bladder, you know, bladder TCC, like how, yeah. like so uncommon. Yeah. So I think by having internal medicine and I'm at a place also with a surgeon. So mm. every other case is an osteosarcoma or hermangiosarcoma because I'm seeing and they, they have an ER department. So but to answer your question, I would say minus the last place that I saw probably 40, 60, so 40 percent cats. But yeah. I see a good number of cats in general. I was up in the Hudson Valley and I thought for some reason, because it was a little bit further away from New York City, that maybe I would see less cats. No, no. absolutely not. Like I saw just as many cats. So I feel like, I, and I, most of the cats I see are high grade lymphomas, you know, GI, GI yeah. with a splash of low grades and then just the weird other stuff. I mean, I see injection site sarcomas, I see oral tumors, I see mammary tumors yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But the majority of what I see is high-grade lymphoma, GI lymphomas. That's a higher percentage of cats than I would have guessed that you would have said. Yeah. Um, I wonder, or I, I, th oh, I know that vets still don't refer enough feline cancer cases, as you know, especially lymphomas or suspected lymphomas. I think there's still not enough trickle down, you know, knowledge to to the general practitioner to to know that if it's available in your area. A lot of it, I think, are cases that are going to internal medicine for inappetence, anorexia, you know, yeah. just sort of workups. And yeah. then the internal medicine is diagnosing them with cancer, and then they get internal referrals. You know, they go home, and yeah. then they come back, but yeah. it's the internal medicine specialist who's right. often. And they, you know, they talk to their general practitioner and say, I just diagnosed cancer. I think it should go see Dr. Sue, and it's that. But I think it's because they have these nonspecific workups and they come in through internal medicine yep. and that you're not specific clinical signs so yep. like you were saying what do, cats only what have cats? four <laughs> clinical signs anorexia weight loss <laughs> vomiting, vomiting and diarrhea there you go <laughs> and they use them for everything yep. so, yeah yeah <laughs> all right we could be talking forever but oh, are we out of time i know we are oh, no. you know and uh, so this has been awesome Thank, Thank you, you so for much. having me. Oh, yeah, yeah, finally, finally, they kicked moment. me out. Yeah, <laughs> you bumped me at um, VMX. We bumped you once. Yeah. Or then, WVC or something. You know, somewhere at, at VMX, we talked and talked and talked, and they were like, oh, "We still need to let you talk." <laughs> well, that's right. But the good news is, you know, we're usually at conferences together, yes. so exactly, you can't get rid of me. Exactly, and we won't. We won't. So, so thank you. So thank, thank you for so having much. me. This was wonderful. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at Per Podcast.
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine, along with three cats, She also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatVetSusan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomat of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GBE. 